The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Our scripture text this morning comes from John 13. It is verses 33 to 38. You may want to find a copy of that. Have it in front of you. John 13, 33 to 38. This is a passage of scripture that I could preach right now. PB, would you like me to preach that right now? Or do you have something prepared? You do. Okay, well, this is so good. Thanks to those of you who arrived so early to set up the place for us. We don't take it for granted that on such a lovely day you would come so soon and go to all that work, and we're grateful. John thirteen thirty three to 38. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Look back at verse 36. Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. That is why it is said that precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so precious is this week, the passing of, of Gary Wilson, Arlene's husband, and of Wendy Arthur's dad. And we rejoice with that family at Gary's home going, even as we pray with them for their new earthly reality. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that what Jesus told Peter would only come afterward is now the now for this dear brother. Thank you, Father, for Gary's completion, his wholeness, and his new life forever with you. Bless and care for and keep close as you do. That dear family, we pray. And use our pastor's message this morning to better fit us for that day 
to which we look forward with great joy and anticipation. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, our hearts go out to Arlene and the Arthurs and continue to pray for them. Know that that your practical acts of love and words are received as the very love of Jesus to them. So be the church, be the hands and feet of Jesus, um, bless them. This passage, man, aren't you glad that you're not in the Bible? Or Peter. Peter and Judas have something in common. And yet they're two different people with two different outcomes. They both spent years with Jesus. They, they saw the same miracles. They heard the same teaching. They were loved by Jesus. They served him. And both Peter and Judas failed him. And what a humbling thing this is. We know that Jesus had to have been hurt. God's word tells us that his spirit was troubled concerning Judas. But then Peter, it must have hurt Jesus, wounded him all the more. Even though he knew what was coming to be denied by him. In life, we learn from our own failures, and we also learn from the failures of others what to do differently, what doesn't work, how to better see the warning signs and, and avoid a fall. This is our focus this morning. What can we learn from Peter? What can we learn from Peter? And then... The assurance that we have in Christ. What can we learn from Peter? What assurances do we have in Christ? If Peter could fall, then aren't we also capable of falling into temptation? Even being ashamed of Christ, denying him. Peter was a bold and confident leader. And we've seen modern day Christian leaders and pastors who have fallen into temptation and likely prior to this fall, they never would have thought it would have happened to them. And then one day they realized just how weak they were and how much they need Jesus. And that's really the theme this morning. We need to know who we are and what we need. In Jesus and what he provides for us. We would be wise to recognize our own weaknesses and thus our ongoing need of God's enabling and strengthening grace. Peter and Judas fail, but there's a significant difference in that one of them is saved and the other was not. They both betrayed Jesus on the night of his arrest. But Peter was eventually restored by Jesus, while Judas, realizing the enormity of his sin, he did not turn from it, and he plunged into despair and hung himself. 
God's word declares that everyone hanged on a tree is cursed. Judas, without hope, was cursed on that tree. And Peter looked with faith, ultimately, to the one lifted up, the one who would hang on Calvary's tree, becoming a curse for him, leading to his forgiveness and restoration. And this is true for all of us. A person is either left to bear the curse of their own sin in themselves, or they look in faith to the only one who can bear it for them. On the tree. On the cross. This is the ultimate difference between Peter and Judas. And we can also see other differences. Differences in their motives. Judas had a, a deceitful heart. He pretended to have moral concerns. Peter sinned with a boastful heart, yet with a real love for Jesus. One lacks the strength to live up to his faith, and the other really has no faith, no genuine faith. One belongs to Jesus and is rescued, rescued after his fall, and the other doesn't truly know Jesus and is left to face the consequences of his own sin. If Peter can fall, you can fall. Any of us can fall. So this is a great warning to us. As Peter was restored by a faithful Savior, as Peter better realized the necessity of having a Savior, so we must humbly look to and rely upon Jesus. What are some of the dangers that we see with Peter? What parts of his walk, what dangers do we see along the path of his life? What are some of the big flashing caution signs that are placed here in God's word for us to see and to be careful in our own walk? It seems so sudden. But what heart issues? What kinds of sin led Peter to his denial. And typically we would recognize in life it, it's a slow fade. It's a series of choices. It's a series of compromises that don't seem significant in and of themselves in the moment. But when we ignore them, we become careless. We become overconfident. We see this in King David. Right, looking to, looking out the palace window, seeing the beautiful Bathsheba. He's the king. He's loved by the people. He's a man after God's own heart. And in a day, with a single choice, he fell. And he dealt with the consequences for the rest of his life. Yes, he's forgiven, but he dealt with the consequences for the rest of his life. In in three short verses describing that event, we read that he saw, he sent, and he took. And it seems so sudden. And yet the heart of the king was corrupted over a period of time. It was sudden, but not really. He became lazy, should have been out fighting with his men. He was proud and Maybe unchallenged because he's the king. Pride and lust slowly growing over time, waiting for the opportunity to strike. Peter 
He denied Jesus in the heat of an anxiety-filled moment. But what were the warning signs? I want to consider three things about Peter that led to his fall. First, there's a level of ignorance with Peter. Peter had the reputation of, what, foot-in-mouth, blurting it out, talking before, speaking too quickly, and we know that a wise and godly man should be quick to listen and slow to speak. We should listen. We should learn. And our ignorance is often revealed when we just blurt it out. The cross in this moment, it's right around the corner. And we see this intimate meal and Jesus once again speaking his, of, his, of his imminent death. And Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And we, we should wonder in hearing this, hadn't he been listening? Hadn't he been listening and learning? How many times had Jesus explained what was coming? He should have known. He should have known the necessity of Jesus' death. Even just a few days ago, Jesus said that he would be lifted up from the earth, describing the kind of death that he would die. And several times, Jesus very plainly told his disciples what was coming. In Luke, he's recorded as saying, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Very clear. As they sat around that the table that very evening, Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus is teaching. Not to some inattentive crowd who's just interested in a free meal and a show. He's teaching his own chosen disciples. He's their rabbi. And still, apparently, they just had their own ideas. They weren't listening. They were ignorant. They weren't learning. And this speaks to us, and we can have our preconceived ideas. Oh, we need to listen to God's word. We need to rightly interpret God's word. We need to see what is actually there and humble ourselves and pray that God's spirit would open our eyes to truths that we would learn that we would know God and love God and know ourselves. Jesus had repeatedly said that he's going to die. That he was the Savior, the Messiah. And so it seems there must have been maybe some irony. It's interesting when you read God's word out loud. How should I read this? What's the tone? And I just think there must be some irony when Jesus says, Will you, you Peter, will you lay down your life for me? Our faith is not about what we can do for God, but what he has done for us. The law says do, and the gospel says done. 
And in response to what Jesus has done, we in utter dependence upon God as an act of worship do what he has commanded us to do with joy. Oh, how ignorant was Peter, not only of the gospel, but in his own ability. Leon Morris wrote this, when the crunch came, he was not ready to die. He ran away with the others and went further by denying his Lord. And honestly, we can be a lot like Peter, can't we? We assume certain strengths in ourselves instead of humbly praying and continually asking God to give us what we need. Even many years in the faith, we need to be humble. (laughs) Just a couple of days ago, I had a conversation with my son-in-law, Jake. We were talking about current and potential challenges in our increasingly controlling and restrictive environment, state, and, um, you know, how it impacts him as a businessman, how it impacts me as a pastor. And I was thinking about the church and, and these things, how they may impact us. And I, this is a long ways away, but I thought of uh, Pastor Wang Yi. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a pastor of the Early Rain Covenant Church in China. He was thrown into prison for speaking against the communist regime in China, I think nine years in prison. And yet, we're not in China. (laughs) And I don't want to make that expectation or that comparison um, of that kind of persecution. But man, it sure seems different. It sure seems like we could go there. And I don't know. The Lord knows. We're still a long way away from that reality. But then I'm reminded of legal battles in California. Grace Community Church and Pastor John MacArthur. And then Pastor James Coates, who, because of COVID restrictions and him continuing to preach the gospel, was actually thrown into jail. He's released now, but he was thrown into jail. Not in China, in Canada. It's getting closer. And with these things happening, Jake and I are talking and these things are in my mind getting weirder and weirder by the moment. In a very Peter-like fashion, I blurted out, I'd be willing to go to jail if it really came down to it. And then I just thought, oh, I wish, I hope, I hope that if things ever got to that unavoidable situation of obey God or obey men that I would have half the courage of these men. Half the conviction that they have. Oh, what an assuming Peter-like thing to say. How easy it is to imagine and assume. (laughs) We must not assume certain things about ourselves. And we need to pray. And we need to be ever mindful and intentional of our growing faith and prayer and reliance on God to give us whatever strength that we need that day. And the worries of tomorrow that he'll give us the grace that day. And trust the Lord for whatever trial 
lie ahead. A.W. Pink said that Peter knew and really loved the Lord, but how little he yet knew himself. Oh, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, Pastor Brian, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. And Peter should have realized how ill-equipped he was, not only and especially in what Jesus was going to do, but even in his calling as a disciple in the years ahead. We can be just like Peter, ignorant of our spiritual weaknesses, thinking that we can handle certain things, things that may lead to greater temptations and failings. In the moment of this conversation, do you think Peter, do you think Peter would have ever thought that he would cower to a servant girl? All he had to do was admit that he was a follower of Christ. And we think we'd do better in the situation. Again, I'm so glad I'm not in the Bible. J.C. Ryle comments, we never know how far we might fall if we were tempted. We fancy sometimes, like Peter, that there are some things we could not possibly do. We look pitifully upon others who fall into certain sins and please ourselves in the thought that at any rate we should not have done so. We know nothing at all. The seeds of every sin are latent in our hearts, even when renewed. And they only need occasion or carelessness or the withdrawal of God's grace for a season to put forth an abundant crop. Instead of assuming strength, we should know our true weakness. We should know that we're not strong enough to play around with things that might lead to sin. Which may lead to a great fall with horrible consequences to our lives, to our family, to most of all the reputation of God and his church. We need to be like Joseph, right? And flee. Flee temptation. Run. Starve sinful desires. Pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As a result of his ignorance, Peter was also overconfident. They go together. In the Gospel of Luke, we learn that this conversation between Jesus and Peter took took place right after what? Do you remember? The disciples were arguing about something. Remember what they were arguing about? Who's the greatest? Incredible. Who's the greatest? In Mark's gospel, we learn that Peter not only claimed that he would die for Jesus, but he boasted over how much more faithful he was than the others. Peter actually says to Jesus, even though they all fall away, I will not. Overconfident in himself, he should have remembered the proverb that says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Oh, how Peter needed the humble rebuke of Jesus. The humbling rebuke of Jesus. 
Jesus who basically said, Oh, Peter, (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about. You'll be reminded of this when the rooster crows. It wasn't Jesus that needed Peter. It's Peter and us who need a Savior, who need Jesus. From Jesus' perspective, he probably sensed, Jesus probably sensed Satan, Satan's delight over this prideful heart of Peter. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And once again, let's remember that Satan is God's devil. And Jesus uses him in the moment. Just as with Job, so it was with Peter that God let Satan do his work so that Peter might be rightly humbled. And it's interesting that this humiliation came in an area not of a a weakness of Peter, but a strength. Courageous Peter couldn't stand up to a little girl. We need God to give us strength. Not only in our areas of weakness, but also our supposed areas of strength where we're overconfident. Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. A third lesson we can learn from Peter which led to his sudden fall into sin is his neglect of spiritual resources. Later that same evening, Jesus took his disciples to pray, to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what did he find when he returned after this intense, agonizing time of personal prayer? Instead of finding his disciples praying, instead of seeing their need to use this spiritual resource God had given them, he finds them neglecting it, taking a nap. Three times Jesus gives the advice to pray so that they may not enter into temptation. And when he returns, he finds them sleeping. Why do we do this? (laughs) We do this. It's because we're ignorant of our true need. It's because we're overconfident in ourselves. And we assume that we don't really need anything more. Oh, parents, I've said this recently, but pray. Pray for the hearts of your children. Don't don't be overconfident in your ability to control them when they're young. Don't be ignorant to the reality of their sin. They're little sinners, and it's cute when they're little, but it's really ugly and destructive when they get older. Don't neglect the spiritual resource in your parental toolbox. Because it will become more and more clear that it's not simply their behavior that you're after, but a behavior that comes from a right heart. And a right heart ultimately comes from the Spirit doing His work on them, God using your prayers to do so. Pray for your families, pray for your church, your pastors. Pray that we love God, that we're faithful in following him, that he give us courage and strength in times of temptation and whatever challenges we might face. Don't neglect to pray. 
There are spiritual resources that we all must not neglect. We must not neglect gathering together. As wonderful as it is to have live stream for people who are unable to be here, and we're so thankful for that, we shouldn't assume that it's an option for those of us who can be here. We must not neglect God's word. We must not neglect the Lord's table. We must not neglect prayer, worshiping together, our fellowship together. Satan wants to sift us like wheat. And he'll whisper that you're strong, that you don't need these things, that you've been a Christian a long time and you know it and you have enough, that you're good on your own. We must not be overconfident in ourselves. We must not be ignorant in our faith and in our ongoing need, ongoing daily need of Jesus. We must not neglect the spiritual resources that God has given to us. Hebrews 2 tells us the result of neglecting these things. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have, lest we drift away. I love what John Calvin said. Let us learn to distrust our own strength and betake ourselves early to the Lord that he may support us by his power. Here's what we can learn from Peter's experience. But I also, I want to end by thinking about what assurances. Again, Peter is different than Judas. What assurances did, does he ultimately have? What assurances do we have as genuine believers? Peter fell, but he was not forsaken because of Christ. When true believers stumble... Jesus will ultimately save them. We know the rest of Peter's story. It didn't end like Judas's. We know that after the resurrection, Jesus restores Peter's faith. And what a great comfort this is to us. Yes, keep running the race. Be mindful of your weaknesses and your need of God's grace. Know that Jesus will never forsake his own. Like Peter... He will restore. He will save all that truly belong to him. We know the rest of Peter's story. Looking ahead in chapter 21, but really just here, there's enough for us to reassure ourselves. One assurance is seen in Jesus' declaration. In verse 36, Jesus said, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will. You will follow afterwards. Jesus perfectly knows the future, doesn't he? He's not assuming. He's not making an educated guess. He can perfectly know the number of times that Peter will deny him and when that rooster is going to crow before it happens. In fact, he declared that Peter will eventually follow and be with Jesus once again. In the next chapter of John, Jesus gives assurances. Assurance to his disciples saying, let not your hearts be troubled. In my father's house are many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Peter asked, 
Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him. He assured him, you will follow afterwards. There's a place that I'm preparing for you. You'll be with me in the right time. But even before then, there's another sense in which we could read this. Jesus speaking of heaven, but Jesus also speaking of other ways in which Peter would follow after Jesus. Jesus was on his way to die. Peter thought too much of himself, saying, Jesus, I'll die for you. Jesus says, you'll follow after me. Little did he know that he would follow after Jesus in many ways. He would declare the gospel. He would perform miracles in Jesus' name. He would share in the fellowship of sufferings. He would die. As church tradition tells us, Peter died on a cross under Nero's persecution. Jesus declared that Peter would follow and be with him. And if you belong to Jesus, he declares this assurance to you as well. We read in John 6, Jesus saying, This is the will of him, of my Father who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. His promise is true. This is his declaration to you. If you believe in Jesus, you will follow after him because he will raise you up on the last day. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's a big difference between Peter and Judas. Peter had his failings like all of us. But he genuinely believed in Jesus. So all of you who hear his voice and you follow, be assured that Jesus will keep you. He'll keep you as his own. Another assurance is that Jesus prayed. From Luke's gospel, we read Jesus saying, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Peter. He prayed that his faith would not fail. And Jesus does not say, if you repent, but when you repent. I like how Richard Phillips put it. He said, Satan might be able to overcome Peter's courage, but he could not defeat Jesus' prayer. If you believe in Jesus, know. Know that he is praying for you. He is interceding for you right now. Yes, we fail in so many ways, and we need to be faithful to Christ, but thank the Lord that our salvation is not based on what we do, but on what Christ has done and what he's doing for you now. 
The Apostle Paul in the great chapter of Romans 8 assures us with the words, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is what? Who is interceding for us. Who is praying for us. What a blessing. Just as Jesus prayed for Peter, he prays for you. His interceding ministry continues to this day, keeping all that he purchased with his blood safe to the very end. Because of Jesus' declaration, because he prays, and lastly, because of Jesus' provision, Peter would not be lost. This provision really came in the form of a warning and hard circumstances with Peter. Jesus provided a shocking experience that would lead to Peter's repentance and restoration. Telling Peter, giving him over to his fear, which would result in his denials and orchestrating the timing of a rooster's crow. It was all provided for the sake of Peter's realization, which would lead to his repentance and restoration. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you imagine being Peter, hearing those words, and finding yourself in that moment, and then hearing that rooster crow, the clarity, the, the grief washing over you, with words of warning that ring in the sound of a rooster. The ignorance concerning Jesus. The ignorance concerning himself. It's all brought to light just in a, in a moment. Jesus is sovereign. He knows what Peter will do. He controls the timing of a rooster's crow. He uses it all for the good of Peter's soul. Preparing him as a disciple. He makes provision. He opens Peter's eyes to the reality of his sinful, boastful self-confidence. He provides a situation that will bring about Peter's repentance. Giving him a much greater much greater awareness of his need for Jesus. And oh, how that will serve him in the days ahead. If you've failed Jesus, if you've even denied him, if a loved one, maybe a, a child of yours has walked away from the faith, Jesus knows, only he knows, the heart of each person. If their faith is real. And if their faith is real, he'll make a way. He'll provide. He'll grant repentance in his timing. So keep praying. Keep praying to that end. Like Peter, we are Christ's witnesses. And as witnesses, we can't be ignorant. We can't be self-confident or neglectful of the spiritual resources that God has given to us. Our confidence is in Christ because he has declared our future. He continues to intercede for us. And he will always provide for his own. Let's pray.
God, you are great. You know all things. And our hope, our confidence is in Jesus and not ourselves. He is our hope in life and death. Apart from him, we are lost and we will fail. And so we continually thank you for the provision of Jesus, for for you gave us to him. And he bought us with his own blood. And he promises, he declares that he will keep us until the end. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for the spiritual resources that you have given to us. Help us, help us not to belittle them or neglect them. Guard us from self-confidence that says that we're strong on our own. That we can handle it. Instead, may we cherish these gifts so that we might grow in our knowledge of you, in our love for you, in our understanding of ourselves and our never-ending dependence upon you. Oh Lord, may we be strong witnesses of your saving gospel. May we love and admire Jesus so much, so much that we'd never cower that we would never hesitate to identify ourselves with him and his greatness. Thank you for your church. Keep us united in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.